If you uh, follow the Christian calendar, uh, you would know that today is uh, Palm Sunday, often referred to as. And uh, next week, that means uh, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And so we know uh, the events that took place on Palm Sunday. Um, But we're going to turn to Galatians uh, chapter 3. And I was thinking of doing a, a sermon specifically on Christ's triumphal entry on that Palm Sunday into Jerusalem. Uh, But I thought we would still focus on Galatians because what Paul has to say to us in Galatians chapter 3 is a kind of commentary on why Jesus had to go to Jerusalem. Why did Jesus have to go to uh, Jerusalem? And so Paul's words in Galatians chapter 3 as we continue our way through this letter um, are very insightful and kind of commentary explaining what Christ went to Jerusalem to accomplish. As he rode into Jerusalem, you had those praising him with the very same words that we sang just now from Psalm 118, uh, praising him as Hosanna, praising him as the the coming uh, king uh, into Jerusalem, uh, lowly on a donkey. And yet, they had some misconception about why Jesus Christ had come to Jerusalem. He came not to establish a throne. He came not uh, to overthrow the Romans, but he came there. And he rode into Jerusalem lowly and humble in order that he might die on behalf of the sins of his people. He went to Jerusalem to redeem his people with the price of his own blood, a king who lays down his life. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that those who have sinned against God and have earned the judgment of death, Christ himself has taken for those who believe upon him. And so Paul's words here in Galatians are, again, a kind of commentary explaining to us why Christ had to go to Jerusalem long ago to redeem and save us, his people. So we'll read Galatians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 10 through 14. And this is the holy and inspired word of God. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So far from God's holy word. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul here again quotes for us and cites for us a number of passages from the Old Testament. As we said before, it's likely that the Apostle Paul is, are, is facing these opponents who were saying that his gospel, the good news that he had preached to the Christians here in Galatia, uh, was not in step with the scriptures, was not in step with, with the word of God. These opponents of the Apostle Paul were seeking to uh, bring the people of Galatia who had tasted the freedom that they had in Christ, they were seeking to bring them back into slavery, back under the law of the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul is saying here that the Old Testament itself looked forward to this day. 
that Paul's message itself, it's why he quotes some five different passages in, this, in these short verses we read, from the Old Testament saying that the gospel itself that he's proclaiming was itself already contained in the Old Testament. And so the Apostle Paul is going to defend uh, his message here. Um, now, in a kind of negative sense, right? Because these, these uh, opponents of the apostle have been appealing to the law and saying that, yes, Christ is good and it's nice to start with Christ, but you need to add uh, these things. You need to do these certain things. Circumcision, like the Old Testament had prescribed, keep certain calendar days, certain dietary laws, uh, in order to experience the fullness of salvation, the fullness of uh, a relationship with God. And the Apostle Paul is saying that those things have passed away. And that, again, the law itself uh, anticipated this very day. And so the Apostle Paul now um, exposes and demonstrates how the law was never meant to be a means by which God's people were to be justified, made right before God. Paul is, is demonstrating very clearly that the law itself was never intended to be used as a means by which the people of God would be made right before God. Rather, the law had always been given to God's people in the context of God's grace. Right? Think about even as God gives the Ten Commandments to his people. Right? He says to them, not just, you shall have no other gods before me, to start off the Ten Commandments, but right, he starts with a preface. He says, I am the Lord your God. It's a covenant word. It's a, it's a word of grace to his people. I am the Lord your God, a statement of fact that God himself has accomplished. He has, he has received them and made them his people. I am the Lord your God. And he's done something for them already, right? Who has taken you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, right? He, they, he's brought them out. He's redeemed them. And it's in that context that now he says, therefore, now go and uh, do these things. Here are the Ten Commandments in the light of that context. And you see, in many ways, the opponents of the Apostle Paul were uh, subtracting and, and kind of blocking out that preface to the law. The law was viewed as a means by which they would be made to be God's people, and God would be made to be their God. And so Paul is seeking to correct them in this uh, regard. And so three things to consider uh, in uh, this text here. Uh, three main words that the Apostle Paul uses. Uh, first, cursed. Cursed under the law. Secondly, redeemed by Christ. And then thirdly, blessed in Christ. It's kind of the movement of the passage from cursed, redeemed, blessed. Uh, that's the basic movement here as the Apostle Paul uh, teaches us. So first, in the first uh, few verses here, verses 10 uh, through 12, uh, the Apostle Paul speaks very clearly how those who rely on the law in order to be made right with God, are not blessed, but the reverse, are actually cursed. It's kind of a shocking turn for the Galatians to hear, and especially for their opponents to hear. Those who are proclaiming blessing, if you do these things, Paul is exposing as saying, no, those who do those things and rely on those things to be made right with God are actually not blessed, but under a curse, the curse of of death itself. The curse that Paul speaks about here is one of a kind of death sentence that the law itself proclaimed upon all who would seek to rely upon obedience to that law. 
a death sentence that the law itself proclaimed upon those who sought to be made right with God on the basis of their obedience and keeping of that law. So notice what the Apostle Paul says regarding those who are cursed under the law. He says, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Some other translations, if you're looking at them, maybe uh, translate it more generically, which is a bit closer to the Greek, where it might say those who are of works of the law, those for whose life principle is defined by their obedience to the law, which the ESV rightly says, those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. They're under a sentence of death. And that they have not been made right with God to, be, to receive um, his blessing. But instead they are under a curse. And so the Apostle Paul, in order to defend this claim, that those and any of us here who rely on the works of the law, who define ourselves by our obedience, and that's, you know, you might say, well, that sounds strange, but it's actually the, the, the more typical way people will define themselves today. Uh, there was a poll that I had read from uh, 2011 Um, given to Christians. And the question that these Christians were asked was this. And so these numbers could even be worse uh, today than they were in 2011. But they were asked this. If a person is generally good and does enough good things for others during their life, they will earn a place in heaven, right? They will be accepted and received by God. And as these Christians were polled, 46% of professing Christians agreed with that statement. It's the Galatian heresy continuing in our own day. Right? It's saying those who rely on the works of the law, a person who is good enough and does good things, and enough good things for other people during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. And that is the Galatian heresy. And in many ways, it might be worse Uh, than the Galatian heresy, because at least the Galatian heretics were saying, at least Jesus is a starting point, right? They're saying, start with Jesus and and add to him. Those polled here would simply just say, doing good works apart from Christ earns you a place in heaven. It's worse than the Galatian heresy. And the Apostle Paul, again, is saying that it's not actually the case. Those who think that they will be received by God, and if you think that you will be received by God on the basis of, of the good things you have done, God's word mercifully and graciously reminds you and tells you today that if, you, if that is your attitude, you are not blessed of God, but you remain under the curse. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. And he's saying, again, supporting that from scriptures. He goes on to say, citing from Deuteronomy, cursed, in the middle of verse 10, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, the purpose of that statement in its original context was not to say, okay, every, you know, Israelites, listen up, you must be uh, meticulous in your obedience before God, otherwise um, you will not be accepted before God. No, again, that word comes in the context of God's grace. And it did call them as God's people, called to be holy, to then meticulously follow the law and do the law. But they wasn't to do it in order to be justified. It wasn't to do it in order to make God their God. God was already their God. They were already made right with the Lord. 
Rather, this statement had been given not to encourage them to think that they could earn God's favor by their obedience, but it was given to them so that they might wholeheartedly follow after the God who had saved and redeemed them. They might wholeheartedly follow his will for their lives from gratitude for what he had done. Not in order to earn, but from thankfulness. God has set us free. God has made us his own people. God has been gracious to us. And thank the Lord, and therefore let's, let's follow what he has said. That, that's the purpose of this original verse. Calls them to abide by all things written in God's book. And again, these false teachers were twisting that and saying, See, God made provision If you do all the things written in the book, then you will find life. Then you will find acceptance before God. You will be received by God. But again, the Apostle Paul is saying that this word was written not as a way of usurping the way of faith and of believing, being made right with God in that way, but it was given originally that God's people, having been redeemed, having been made justified, would follow after the Lord wholeheartedly. Follow after him and do all that he had called them to do from a heart of gratitude. Now the Apostle Paul goes on to say, verse 11, that now it is evident that no one is justified before God, right? Nobody is made right before God by the law. For, and here he quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, he says, for the righteous shall live by faith. It's the righteous who are justified before God. It's the righteous who are accepted before God. And Paul, again, is saying very clearly that the law was never meant to be a tool that we would use to obtain righteousness. But rather, as he had said earlier, the way of obtaining righteousness is by faith, is by believing. And faith is not a work, but faith stands in total contrast and opposition to all works. And so the Old Testament itself is declaring that those who seek justification on the basis of the the law are cursed. But those who who seek righteousness and justification on the basis of faith, believing, they are justified before God. And again, he goes on to just keep hammering this point. Verse 12, he says, the law is not of faith. We said this last week. You don't relate to the law by way of believing the law. You do the law. Right? If there is a law that says you, um, again, I think I used this last week, this illustration, right? If, the, if the, uh, the speed limit says that it's 55 miles per hour, you get pulled over, well, then you don't say to the cop, well, I believed that it was 55 miles per hour, right? You're, you're getting a ticket because you broke the law. The law is a matter of doing, not believing. And so Paul here, very simply, and a lot of ink has been spilled on this verse, but it seems very simple. What Paul is saying here is that the law is not of faith. You don't relate to the law by way of believing, but by doing. And it's only those who believe are made right before God. And therefore, if the law is not of believing, of faith, then the law is not a way of justification. It's not a way of being made right with God. So Paul, again, is hammering this point from the Old Testament itself that the law and those who rely on the works of the law are not blessed, but under a curse. The law itself puts them to death. The law itself um, hammers them with their sin and hammers them um, with um, ultimately death sentence itself. 
Now, there's this illustration in uh, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, John Bunyan. Some people are familiar with that um, kind of classic Christian allegory. And uh, one of the characters in uh, Pilgrim's Progress is uh, on, his, on his journey, he's walking down the way, and this man comes and begins to beat him and beats him to the ground. And the man cries out, have mercy, have mercy. And the person responds by saying, I don't know what mercy is. I don't know what mercy is. And so he's under the, the beating of this man until somebody else comes. And as, as you know, Bunyan says, he bids him adieu. He bids him farewell. That this man comes and, 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 and bids the one who had been beating him to go. And he looks and he, said, and, he, and, he know, and he describes this man who had rescued him from this man, other person who had been beating him, and he notices that his hands were pierced. And uh, Christian explains to this person that the one who had bid um, the other person to, to, to go was Christ himself. But the one who had been beating him, in a sense, was the law. It was Moses, right? The law knows no mercy. The law says do, and that's it. The law knows no mercy. The law would never be able to redeem and save. The law was never meant to make them right with God. One must come to those who are under the law to rescue and redeem them from that law that otherwise had upon them a sentence of death. Cursed are those who rely on the works of the law. They are under a sentence of divine judgment. Again, that's the clear teaching um, of God's word here. And so, just as in um, Bunyan's allegory, we recognize that it's not the law that redeems, the law that sets us free, but it's Christ. And this is Paul's second point here, right? If we are under the curse of the law, you might say, well, what what, uh, hope do we have? If I can't do something to be made right with God, if I can't offer him good works and good things, then how then could I ever be made right with God, right? It's a question that we must ask. The Apostle Paul is saying that it's not trusting in the law. Then you say, okay, then, then what is the way of salvation? What is the way forward? That I might be redeemed from this curse of the law. That I might have this sentence of death looming over me um, acquitted. How might this verdict be removed? Again, it's not by doubling down with the law. But rather, Paul proclaims the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ, right? Cursed is the one who is under the law. But verse 13 tells us this good news. Christ redeemed us. Take heart in that. Rejoice in that statement, right? Christ redeemed us, Paul tells us. Christ redeemed you. And he redeemed each of us here who have believed in Jesus Christ. Christ redeemed us how? He redeemed us from the curse of the law, that sentence of death, by becoming a curse for us. This is what Jesus told his disciples over and over again as he was headed to Jerusalem. I must go there. I must go to Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem. And they didn't fully understand until after the fact, but he kept telling them, I must go there to lay down my life and die. I must go to Jerusalem because my people are under a curse. And it's I who have been sent by my Father to redeem them and save them. And therefore, because they are under a curse, the way of salvation, the way that I can set them free, is only by becoming a curse 
for them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It means that all of our brokenness of, of breaking of the law, all of our transgressions against God, can't speak, all of that we have done against God in rebelling against him had been poured out and attributed and accounted to Christ himself. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He became a curse for us because we who were, who were cursed under the law, who could not do anything to redeem and save ourselves, Christ redeemed us. He went to Jerusalem there to be accused, there to be found guilty, though innocent, and there to be dragged and ultimately hung on a cross, cursed of God. Again, this is what the Old Testament proclaimed. Those who hung on a tree were cursed. Paul says in the end of verse 13, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. It was a tree of shame. It was one in which the world had rejected this person. God had rejected this person. They hung suspended between the two. So we think about the cross of Jesus Christ, even this Good Friday coming up, as we gather to remember the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we remember that he was there for me. He was there to redeem me. He was there to set me free from the curse of the law. That is why he is there, not just to show an example of what love looks like. Of course, that is the ultimate example. But more than that, he accomplished redemption. He truly has set those who believe in him free. To no longer think that I must be enslaved to God and thinking my obedience and what I do will win God's favor. The cross of Jesus Christ, as we said probably the last couple of weeks, the cross of Jesus Christ stands as that bold exclamation point that law-keeping will not redeem you. Law-keeping will not set you free. Believing in Jesus Christ, that he died for me on the cross to set me free, that alone brings true freedom, which will be a theme the Apostle Paul will deal with uh, later in uh, Galatians. Christ alone has set me free. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. And therefore, if I am in Christ, if you are in Christ, take heart, take comfort, rejoice. The curse of the law is no longer over you. The sentence of death is no longer yours. You are alive in Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul is reminding us, right? Previously in this letter, he's been telling us that Christ gave himself, right? And Paul says that he gave himself for me and he loved me. That Christ was given to deliver me from the present evil age. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and following there. Christ has done this and therefore it is received and made my own, not by doing and offering up works, but by faith. Coming to him with empty hands to receive all of his benefits, all of his goodness, even himself. To receive him as our God. Christ redeemed us. Once cursed, that it was our portion, that was our lot, that was our inheritance, right? What, what awaited us was the curse of the law, the sentence of death. Christ has come. He rode triumphantly into Jerusalem to lay down his life, to become a curse for us. And more than that, right? Not just to remove the sentence of death. 
right? Not just to take that which loomed over us, a sentence of judgment, but also then to, to unleash and open up the floodgates of the blessing of God, right? Not only to remove the curse did he redeem us, but again, our third point here, he did this in order that the blessing that God promised long ago to Abraham would come now to all who believe in Jesus Christ, no longer cursed, but now redeemed and furthermore blessed. That is the lot of all who believe in Jesus Christ. That is your portion. So notice again, Paul says, verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, which he's been talking about already, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, which would be most of us here, I'm assuming, or unless you can trace your, your lineage back to uh, the, the, the Israelites. But right, God's word has come, and, and evidence of that is seen here as God has gathered a people who could trace their roots throughout all the, the, the places of the world, for the most part. We have a number of different people represented here, right? And all of that is seen in the fact that, that we have come to believe in Jesus Christ, and the same blessing has come to all of us, the very blessing promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. In you will all the nations be blessed. To be received by God, to be loved by God, to have fellowship again with God, to come into the light of his presence. That has come not by way of the law. The law did not redeem you. The law did not give itself for you. The law did not love you. Christ gave himself for you. Christ delivered you. Christ loved you. Not the law. And therefore, it's by believing in Christ, not doing the law, that the blessing of Abraham comes to all who believe. And the blessing of Abraham is summarized here by the receiving of the Spirit. Now, Paul is going to, Paul is going to explain uh, what that means later. I'll have more discourse to say about the Holy Spirit being received. But here he says that the receiving of the Holy Spirit is evidence and is itself the reception of the blessing of Abraham because by the Spirit, as we said in the previous sermon, right, the Spirit brings us to Christ, unites us to Christ, brings us into fellowship and union with Christ by which we receive his merits by which we are counted righteous, we receive all of the blessings of salvation, the forgiveness of all of our sins, renewal unto new life, sanctification, being made more and more like Christ until one day we are glorified. And when the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, for example, that when Christ, who is our life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. You share in the very glory of Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the blessing that Jesus Christ has obtained for us and for all who believe in him. Once cursed under the law, redeemed by the one Jesus Christ hanging on the cross for us, becoming a curse for us, and now blessed forevermore, receiving the Spirit as a guarantee, as a seal That all that Christ has done has been given to me. And I have eternal life and will share in eternal glory with him. That is the good news that the Apostle Paul is defending here. And so in light of that good news, right, Paul is praying that, that as they hear this good news again, that those who are seeking to deceive them and lead them back into works of the law would be shown wrong and would be shown to be not the path of the way of life, 
but to be a path back to slavery. And so Paul is saying, remain by faith in Christ. Continue by faith in Christ. And continue to know the blessing that is only found in him. And so the good news comes to us. And so believer, those who know Christ, remember this, this, this gospel. Believe this gospel. And those outside of Christ, believe this gospel. Lay down your hands, lay down your arms, and all of your efforts to try to be made right with God, thinking that the good things I do, and trust and believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for you, and he was raised for you, and that in him, all of the blessing that God has promised of salvation and of eternal life will come to you. It will be yours. And your portion will no longer be this world that is passing away with the sentence of death, but your portion will be God himself forevermore. Just can conclude with these words from Psalm 16, uh, resurrection psalms. And so we're looking forward to Easter coming up. They're words that are... Um, Ask Susanna. So I always say it's my favorite psalm. But it ends with these words, and we'll conclude here. Psalm 16, verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. The curse is gone. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is your portion if you are in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word that uh, corrects us, it leads us in the way of everlasting. And so, Father, as we've had this time to remember and hear that once cursed, now redeemed, and now blessed in Christ, that we too would receive this message uh, by faith, believe upon Christ, look to him as the one hanging, cursed on the cross for us, that we might then in him find everlasting life. So grant us faith and may your word as it has gone forth, may it bear fruit in our hearts as it has been uh, planted in good soil. So bless your word to us. May we go forth then glorifying your great name and trusting in your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.